Jesus said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather in your house and sing songs of praise to your name, to sit under the teaching and preaching of your word. And God, as we approach Christmas, it's easy for us to get busy, busy with things that are good. But I pray, Lord, uh, that you would focus our minds on the gift that you gave us in the manger when you sent your son uh, full of grace and truth. And God, I pray that we would respond like Mary, that we would magnify your name and that our souls would rejoice in our Savior. And God, as we consider uh, that Jesus uh, left the glory of heaven and the praises that he rightly deserved, he became nothing for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would create that spirit in us of humility so that we can more effectively point others uh, toward you. Um, now, Lord, as Chad comes, um, I pray that you would speak to us through him and that we would get a clearer picture of the great love that you have for us. Um, lead us, Lord. Um, direct us. Help us to respond in a way that is pleasing to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. would turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. You might find that odd on the Sunday before Christmas that we would be in Romans. Why wouldn't we be in Luke 2 or in Matthew 1 or John 1, one of these passages? Why wouldn't we look to Isaiah 9, the prophecy foretold? And uh, what I want to do today is Help us see or learn, remember the love of God, the gift that he is to us in that way. Uh, oftentimes I'll say, hey kids, and I'll get you to try to draw something or do something or, or remember something. And, and a lot of times I do that later in the sermon, but I want to start out that way today. So kids, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to draw out what you want for Christmas. Right? Uh, parents, don't, don't panic, right? 
Uh, this is really just one of those things, like if, if you could have that special gift, if there's something you would like for Christmas, I want you to, to draw that thing out. And, and while you're doing that, I want maybe the rest of us or all of us to try to think about something. Do, like, do you remember, uh, uh, hesitate to say like your favorite gift from the past, but, but maybe one of those gifts that really sticks out, uh, maybe from childhood, maybe uh, maybe it was one even just last year. I, I remember so many different uh, gifts and years from when I was a, a child. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember getting my Huffy bike, and uh, it was gray with black and white splatter paint on it, a neon green seat, and neon green handlebars. Can y'all picture this bike with me? I mean, I remember walking downstairs and turning the corner into the living room, and there it was. And I was the only one awake, and I remember, I, I, knew, I knew I wasn't allowed to leave, so I literally just sat on my bike with the kickstand up and everything, just by myself in the living room, not going anywhere. But that bike was awesome. Okay, uh, I remember uh, a few years later, I remember uh, as I got older, I got my, my own CD player. It was a three-disc CD changer. Like, ooh, I didn't have any CDs. <laughs> but I could, I could change them, just didn't have any in there. Uh, I remember the year I got a Nintendo. I mean, like, I, I, I was pretty convinced that we were not going to get a Nintendo. My, my, who wanted that? Like what parent thought that was a great idea then? And uh, I remember, I remember the year I got like a, whether it was like a BB gun, I remember getting a, a guitar. There's like all the, the different things. I can, I can remember what it was like. I, re, I remember uh, waking up on Christmas morning, receiving these things. And I, I remember those kind of gifts. Do, does anybody else in the room remember some kind of gift at some time? Yes. Okay, good. If not, we should talk. You should probably get a gift this year. Um, but like, but I, I just remember those kind of things. But, but here's what comes to my mind. In, in all of Scripture, there's this most famous passage. It's not the one we're going to look at today. But, but the, the most famous passage probably in all of Scripture, John 3.16, right? It's on posters at all the different sporting events, even when people don't know what it means. They hold it up on posters. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's a gift, right? I mean, that's a gift unlike any other. That's, that's way better than a Huffy bike. It's way better than, than a three CD disc changer. It's better than like whatever the new video game system is. It's better than all of those things. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine a better gift on Christmas than the gift of everlasting life? I guess pretty good, doesn't it? And, and here's Here's the reality of that passage of Scripture, that what it reminds us of, yes, it is a gift, but it is driven from love. Like, for God so loved the world. So it's because he loved that he gave. So, so when we think about 
uh, Christmas. We think about the coming of Jesus, the one who was the Messiah, the one who is the Christ, the promised one. Like the fact that he came, this, this gift of, of his life, his death ultimately, his resurrection, this gift of Jesus, it comes from love for us. So today, what I, I, I want us to see is God's love. Uh, on these last few weeks, as we've looked at hope and peace and joy, in, in many ways, it's been about what God is giving us, right? He's been giving us hope. He's given us peace. He's given us joy. But, but there's something different about love because love is not just a description of God, not just an attribute of God, for God is love. It's his very essence, it's, it's who he is. It's not just merely one of his attributes, which would be sufficient enough for us to study, but it is actually his, part of his being. So with that in mind, I want us to look to Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna, we're gonna go uh, from verse 28 through the first good chunk of chapter nine. So is everybody okay? Well, it doesn't matter. So we're just gonna, we're gonna do it anyway. All right, so Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ, Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He continues Chapter 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. 
For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had, not, had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of his call. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I've loved and Esau I hated. What, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, initially, that feels like a really hard place to stop, right? But I want you to, to bear with me as we see in these verses how God's love is on display. I want to give you, maybe using this text in particular as it, it referenced Pharaoh and specifically looking back to the book of Exodus, give you a little teaser that beginning January 8th, we will begin a lengthy study of the book of Exodus. And I am so excited about looking to how we are reminded of how much we need God through the book of Exodus. It's like this abundant reminder, chapter after chapter after chapter. The, the entire book is designed that way. And I, I believe it's designed to remind the people of God how much we need God. So I hope that you'll join with us as we study the book of Exodus. But since we're not there yet, let's look to, to learn more about God's love. You see, God's love is, we'll, we'll, we'll see some different uh, maybe characteristics of God's love, so to speak. God's love, as we see in this text, is eternal. It's eternal. This, this most famous of passages, verse 28, I mean, I hope, uh, maybe, maybe you're not one who underlines in your Bible, but if you are, this is absolutely one you should underline, circle, and, and hopefully you won't misunderstand it, but that you would cling to it when things are going hard for you. We know that for those who love God, that means those who are in the family of God, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want you to catch a couple things in this short passage. One is that uh, this kind of all things work together for good I want you to know that that doesn't necessarily mean here on earth. And I know, I know that that can be hard to hear. But I think it's necessary for us to hear. It doesn't, it doesn't remove hope for us. No, in fact, it, it gives us a hope that we can count on. A hope that we can know, okay, it might not get better here. In fact, it might get worse. It might get harder. Like uh, we, we see in Scripture that kind of indication. Things are going to get harder for us as believers. And yet, there's hope. Why? 
because all things for those who are called according to his purpose, those who are called his children, those in the family of God, one day, one day, this eternal love will be on display and we will experience something that makes all things better. All things working together for good. When it, when it describes this word that he foreknew, this, this indicates that God's love is not only never ending, but God's love has always been. Right? He, right? If we think back to John 3, 16, for God so loved that this, that this compelled him, his love compelled him to send his son, Jesus, to his death. Because his love compelled him to do this, but this love has always been. Because God is love, right? So if God has always been, then love has always been, and in particular, God's love. He foreknew, he, he thought about this before creation happened. You know, he was very aware that we were going to sin. He was not shocked by Adam and Eve and their failure, their fall. He's not shocked then, he's not shocked now when we choose to sin. Maybe we don't take a forbidden fruit, literally, but, but maybe, we, maybe we take something else that's not ours. Maybe we speak words that we ought not to speak. Maybe we think thoughts. Maybe we, we take actions that are not ours to do, and God knew about all of those things, yet he loved us still. In fact, he planned for this still. Ephesians 1, we looked at this just a few weeks ago, a few months now, I guess. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to himself according to the purpose of his will. Before we could do right or wrong, he had us in mind. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? That, that the God of the universe was thinking of us when he sent his son. His son came to die for you and you, you were not even a thought in your parents' eye because your parents and grandparents and their grandparents and like on and on and on, right? We're, we're generations from Jesus' birth. And yet we were part of his plan. This is this is an eternal plan. This plan is so much bigger than what our mind can even comprehend. This love, this eternal love is, is so much more significant in that way. God's love is eternal. God's love is gracious. Look at, look at verse 32, chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, grace, giving us something good that we do not deserve. If you're not aware of it, you do not deserve God's forgiveness. I do not deserve God's forgiveness. This, this Christmas, you, you need to remember that. that. Whatever blessings you receive, there's, there's not enough that you have done to deserve those things. You see, it's, it's just that he loves. A.W. Pink, one of my favorite authors, uh, 
has a book on the attributes of God, and when in his chapter on the love of God, he says this, Here then is abundant cause for trust and patience under divine affliction. Christ was beloved of the Father, yet he was not exempted from poverty, disgrace, and persecution. He hungered. He had thirst. Thus, it was not incompatible with God's love for Christ when he permitted him to be spit upon and for people to smite him. Then let no Christian call into question God's love when he is brought under painful afflictions and trials. God did not enrich Christ on earth with temporal prosperity, for he had nowhere to lay his head, but he did give him the spirit without measure. Learn then that when the world hates us, God loves us. I need you to remember that, that when you are, when you're grieving, when you're, when you're sad, when, when something is taken away from you, maybe a part of your health is taken away from you, when, when your job is taken away from you, when you're at odds with your spouse or your child or your grandchildren or your, your family is, is in strife, and you wonder, where's God's grace now? It's right there with you. He didn't say, I'm going to make everything easier for you. He said, I'm going to be there with you. Right? The, the spirit was abundantly there. The one who didn't even spare his own son. Right? He didn't take those things away from him. But he will graciously give us what we need. God's love is eternal his love is gracious, and his love is infinite. Oh, verse 38. Again, this is one of those that, if, that you, you should have this underlined, starred, bracketed off, highlighted, uh, written on your mirror somewhere, like put it somewhere prominent, write it down, learn it. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I need you to, to know this. If you are a child of God, there is nothing you can do to be removed from the hand of the Lord God Almighty. We believe that he is powerful enough to hold us, and we believe that he is loving enough to desire to hold us. There is nothing and no one, right, that, that, that encompasses everything. <laughs> like all the lists there. Not even your death will bring about separation. Nothing will take you away from the love of God in Christ. Maybe you are here this morning and you are in doubt. You wonder if... You've gone too far. I want you to hear that the grace of God is deeper still. It's farther than whatever length you've gone, whatever sin you've committed, that God's love is infinite, infinitely bigger than the horror of your sin. I, mean, I, I, I think about biblical examples like uh, Moses, who, who murdered someone. Think about David, who committed adultery and had someone murdered, like had, had blood on his hands. And yet, these are, are men in particular that are 
that are considered forgiven, put in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. We're not, we're, I'm, not, I'm not lifting these men up as like, hey, so you go do that so you can be forgiven. I'm saying, isn't it good to know that whatever it is you have done, you can be forgiven. Because the, the love of God, the, the assurance he provides for us is deeper and wider and stronger and higher and faster and quicker than anything you've got. The good of his good is way better than the bad of your bad. John Brine says, no tongue can fully express the infinitude of God's love or any mind can comprehend it. it. It passes knowledge. The most extensive ideas that a finite mind can frame about divine love are infinitely below its true nature. Heaven is not so far above the earth as the goodness of God is beyond the most raised conceptions which we are able to form of it. It is an ocean which swells higher than all the mountains of opposition in such as are the objects of it. It is a fountain from which flows all necessary good to all those who are interested in it. You can experience this love. Think about it. Like when, we, when we light these candles and we say we, we want hope, we want to experience hope. Some of us are, are feeling like we're drowning. You can have hope. Some of us are in chaos. My, my middle schoolers, uh, there's a, a thing this past Friday called Christmas chaos. Sounds terrible, right? But they, they had a blast and all kinds of fun. But like some of us, some of you feel like you're in Christmas chaos. Peace. You can have it. Some of you are grieving. Sorrow like I've never experienced. And you can have joy. And, and all of that, all of that stems from this love. And I want you to hear this. From this infinite love, it is uninfluenced. Here's, here's what I mean by that. In, in chapter 9, verse 11, it says this. And again, there are times that this can be controversial. I'm not trying to bring up controversy. Instead, I'm, I'm wanting to point out something that, that is a blessing for us. So do your best with me to push controversy aside and just, just hear this. Verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So here's what happens, right? They're talking about uh, Jacob and Esau, these twins who were born. Scripture says that Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And, and I get it, that can be very challenging. That can be where it gets a little controversial. But hear this, if there was nothing, this was before they were born. There was nothing that they could have done to earn God's love. You can't work hard enough to get God's love. It's uninfluenced. It's, it's free for us. It's spontaneous. It feels like it's uncaused. And, and aren't, I mean, if we're really honest, aren't we glad that it's uncaused? I mean, it, it had to be. If, if it had to be caused for you, for me, you would have given God no reason to love you. 
And I would have given God no reason to love me. Because what I, what I do to him is like, turn my back on him. I tell him I'm going to obey him and then I sin. And all of us fall short of the glory of God over and over and over and over. We, we offend him with our wrongdoing. We disobey his commands. And what does he do in return? Loves us, sends his son to die for us, to take our place. We don't know true, unconditional love except for the love of God. Now we could try, like we want to say that we have unconditional love for our spouse and that we have unconditional love for our grandchildren and our children. I skipped children because you know what I'm saying, right? We, we want to say that we have, we have unconditional love for them, but in reality, we know that, that there is limits to our love because we are limited people. But in a limitless God, there's an unconditional love. He loves not because of what you have done to earn it, but because he knows you need it. Like this is what we've done. We've gone against God, the perfect, holy, righteous creator of all things, just and good. And he looks at you and I and our sinful state and our wrongdoing he says, I'm going to send my all-sufficient son, Jesus, to die for you. But he comes and he lives a perfect life that we could not live and dies a death that we deserve to die. Conquers hell, sin in the grave when he rises from the grave. Makes a way that through our repentance, our turning away from ourself and trusting in Jesus, that we could have and experience this love, a love that that is far bigger, this infinite love, this gracious love. This love that I would describe as sovereign. God's love is sovereign. Verse 13 goes into this part that gets confusing. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? I love how, how Paul asks a question that he knows is probably being asked on the other side of the, the uh, readers of this letter. I would have been asking it. So he's, he asked it himself, what should we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? Clearly, by no means, he states. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I'm not, I'm not trying to make things difficult this Christmas. I just simply want to say that we cannot fully comprehend the sovereign grace of God. And I'm okay with that. I am. Uh, I don't know if that's comforting for you that your pastor's okay with the fact that he doesn't understand parts of the Bible. Um, but I've, I've done pretty extensive study on this passage. And here's, here's what I know. That uh, we, we are responsible to turn away from our sin and trust in Jesus. And yet, there was no one and nothing outside of the masterful decree of God 
that can bring that about. I, I don't know how that works. Many have argued that those two things, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, are at odds. They're, they're opposites. But I would find myself in agreement with Charles Spurgeon, who, when he was asked, how do you reconcile those two? He simply said, I find no need to reconcile old friends. I'm okay. It's okay that there's some tension there. It's okay that it's a little uncomfortable. When I stand before God, one day, I don't think, I, I used to think I'm gonna ask him. And now I think I'm gonna be so astounded by his glory that I'm gonna have no room for questions. I'm just gonna, this could be an all. I'm not even gonna care. I'm not gonna be stressed out. My, my job is not to worry about my responsibility, my, my, his sovereignty or, or like a free will and all these things. No, it, it, the, task is, the task is far greater than, than that. And it's, it's made clear, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I need you to know that his love is sovereign and it's unchangeable. Verse 16, chapter 9. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Whew, that's good. Right? It's not up to us. Because we would mess it up. Right? We, we can't earn it. We wouldn't be able to keep it. We'd lose it. As soon as we got it, we'd, we'd start gaining pride. We'd be arrogant. We'd be gossip, slanderers, adulterers, like all of these things. As, as soon as we got it, we'd lose it. We'd have to try to get it again, and then we'd lose it. It's unchangeable. His love is unchangeable. So all of this in description of God's love that is poured out for us, I wonder if you have thought about what our response then. Because when you hear these truths, you could just walk away now. That's like, um, it's not, a, it's not much of a sermon. If you just walk away and you have more information. The goal of a sermon is to, to bring about uh, change in us. To stir something in us. Decision call for a response in some way. And so if you are exposed then to, to the eternal, gracious, infinite, uninfluenced, sovereign, unchangeable love of God, what now? I would say two things in particular that God's love for us causes. One, praise. Praise. I mean, I want you to hear these few verses again. And if you're a follower of Christ, I have no idea how this doesn't stir praise in you. So hear them again with that in mind. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like this, this should stir in us, right? That we want to praise this God who, who like, 
helps us be more than conquerors, who that never leaves us, never separates from us, always is there for us when we're going through the trial. And when, when he writes in, in chapter 9, they, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the laws, the worship. Like the, the people of God are, are designed to be this way. This, this should be more than just a song that we sing, right? This isn't just about singing Christmas carols. It's certainly not even just about singing any kind of songs in this room. Our lives should be a reflection of the love that he pours out for us. So it should be normal for us to sing praises, to shout his name, to declare his glory. This is like just bubbling up. Like it, it overflows, your cup overflows. Praise is our response. And second, it's proclamation. When you get to verse 17, it speaks of a Pharaoh in this way. It says, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What if that's what God is saying about you? Well, you can know. It's a follower of Christ. That's what God is saying about you. You see, you're designed to make disciples of all nations. God is taking you through, walking you through the, the river you're going through, the, the waves that you're crashing over you, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's taking you through this sweet season you're in, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's taking you through the season where your kids are growing up and you're, you're watching that and you're enjoying that so that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's taking you through that season as a grandparent. You're, in, you're enjoying that, watching him from a distance. <laughs> and it, he's doing that, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's taking you through retirement. He's taking you through advancement in your job. He's taking you through school. He's taking you through life. He's taking you through having children, raising children. He's taking you through singleness. He's taking you through your marriage. He's taking you through divorce. He's taking you through all of these things so that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This week, we're praying for the, the country of Vietnam. What if, what if that is, is part of your prayer life, is to remember, okay, God, you have me here that your name might be proclaimed in Vietnam. Last week, we were praying for Israel, that, that your name might be proclaimed in the nation of Israel. Right, that, I'm, I'm here to call, to call on you to do what only you can do. That your name might be proclaimed in all the earth, even if it's in a place that I never go to. Would your name be proclaimed in all the earth? See, that's our job. And, and while you're on this earth, everywhere you are, you may, you may never make it to Vietnam, or you're in Ridgeland. Maybe you live in Madison or Rankin County or wherever you live, right? Your task there is to make his name known in all the earth. That's you, your job. You tell this great news. You speak of this love. You declare his name to your neighbor, to your children and your grandchildren. 
your coworkers, your classmates, you make this love known in all the earth. As we respond this morning, I want to invite you to do just that, respond. Maybe your response is in turning away from your sin, repenting and believing, trusting in Jesus. You can do that right where you sit, certainly. And in just a moment when we stand and many of us will be singing, I, I invite you to, to come to this room and just say, I, I, I've turned away from my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus. I just want to tell somebody that. I don't want to celebrate. Somebody wants to pray over you. Maybe it is that you want to, you have more questions about it and you can make those questions known. We would love to, to talk with you about those. Maybe your response this morning is simply to sing his praise, to sing of how great the love of God is, right? Because it overflows. And so our response, maybe you're one of those who's like, I'm not really a singer. Maybe today is that day <laughs> where you turn that page and you say, okay, I'm so overwhelmed by the love of God that I will, I will at least say the words out loud because he's worthy of that. And maybe some of you are reminded today that there's someone that God has put in your life that you need to be proclaiming this good news to. Right, right where you are, would you commit to, to this week sharing this, this love with those in need? At this time, would, would all of us, can we stand now? We might sing and respond according to the Lord's desire.